for the gospel to be proclaimed and for all nations and many souls to be harvested. It was not a time unlike what we're going through now. It was a time of, of separation, and we'll see that here in just a moment. But there was no greater moment in history than when the Holy Spirit came upon those who belonged to Jesus Christ. We find that in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. And I invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning. We're going to be looking in Acts chapter 1 and 2. We're also going to be looking at 2 Chronicles. So if you can have your finger in Acts and have your finger in 2 Chronicles, you can also follow along on the screen. But this was a fulfillment. Pentecost was a feast where the Jews gathered together in Jerusalem 50 days after Passover. And again, the disciples were regathered. Remember, they had been separated, but now they're regathered. They were praying and they were seeking God. And the Holy Spirit came down and they began to proclaim the gospel. And people from all over the world that had gathered there heard in their own language and many souls were harvested or, or won into the kingdom of God. You see, what was happening then and what was happening in Second Chronicles, and we're continuing in this series called Returning to the Temple, which is a mini-series of our bigger series about returning to the Lord with all of our heart. They were, there was a time of separation in both instances, in Second Chronicles and in the pre-gospel era. People were scattered. People were separated. And God chose that moment in history. Both of those instances, which we'll look at today, chose those moments in history to do something spectacular, to do something powerful. You see, we can still be the church without a building. I hope that's one of the things that, that you and I have learned in this period of which today I believe marks 12 weeks. I hope we've learned that we can be the church without the building, but you know what God wants us to learn is we cannot be the church without the Holy Spirit. No Holy Spirit, no church. Before Christ and before the Holy Spirit, the religious institution of the day, which was Judaism, had been going through the motions. Legalism, ritual, routine. Let me ask you, is that how you want to return? Just the same old, same old, jumping through religious hoops? Or do you want to be empowered by the Spirit of God? Do you want to be a church fueled up and fired up and living with purpose and with power that the things that you do as a part of your walk with the Lord are not just jumping through hoops, not just going through the motions, not just some religious ritual and routine because somebody at church has asked you to do it or expects you to do it? Are you, do you want to come back fueled up and fired up in your walk with the Lord? If so... And I believe that is true of every one of you listening today, then a return to the temple needs to be more than just a physical regathering. There are some pertinent parallels between the events in 2 Chronicles and the book of Acts, chapters 1 and 2. And um, as I've noticed these in my reading and my study for this series, some of them are spiritual darkness. That's one of the parallels. There was a time in 2 Chronicles where there was spiritual darkness. Well, what about the book of Acts? Well, you've got to remember, 30 years before Acts happened, uh, there was no Jesus on earth. And it was a 400-year period of silence between the end of the Old Testament period, 
ending with the book of Malachi and before the gospel of Matthew opens, that 400 years of silence. So both times were marked with, with spiritual darkness, spiritual silence, if you would. There was also a, a parallel of the rejection of God. In the Old Testament, the people of God had rejected Him. And they chose idols, and they chose things that were more convenient over their relationship with God. In the New Testament, it was not just a rejection of God. Now it's a rejection of the Son of God. They rejected Jesus Christ, and they crucified Him on the cross. Also, another parallel was the idolatry in the Old Testament. That's what got them into deep trouble as they began to worship other gods. And God got so sick of it, He got so fed up that He sent them into captivity. For 70 years, exiled them. And then in the New Testament, their idolatry was no better because as we see through the Pharisees and through the Sadducees in the days of Jesus, they were hung up on ritual and routine and legalism and rules. And, and uh, that became their God. And so there was little in both periods, in the Old Testament or the New Testament, Second Chronicles or the book of Acts, little, if any, genuine, centralized worship. Just a bunch of religious activity. And God put a stop to it. He put a stop to it. And I believe that's one of the things God's done here. In both instances, Second Chronicles, that period in the Old Testament and in the book of Acts, because of God's great grace, His great mercy and His great love, God was visiting His people again offering them an opportunity of repentance and a return to Him and a return to centralized, genuine worship. What did that look like then? What should it look like now? And just as there are pertinent parallels between Second Chronicles and Acts, I believe that there are pertinent parallels between both of those times and the times we're in now. I believe that what they prioritized in their return to the temple and the beginning of the church in the book of Acts should be what we prioritize as we plan to return to the temple, to the church building. Now, what we find here, and I want you to look at Second Chronicles chapter 15. We're going to look at several things that just highlight, first of all, this remnant of God's people regathering. I say a remnant because God had disciplined His people and had reduced uh, their numbers somewhat because of their wickedness. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 5, we read, And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in, but great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. Well, if there was a time in our modern history where that verse is now true, now is it. All over the world there's a time of turmoil and uh, no peace. Verse 6, So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every adversity. You mean God would do that? But if you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Obed, the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin, those who dwell with them, from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. For they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. 
So they gathered together in Jerusalem in the third month, in the 15th year of the reign of Asa. So what you see here is the people. God is visiting them again. God has turned the heart of this king. He's through the prophet, through the preaching of God's word. God turned the hearts of his people and they began to regather and remove those things that didn't belong. Chapter 29 of 2 Chronicles in verse 3. We see again another king calling God's people to regather. Hezekiah said in the first year of his reign, the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He opened them. Y'all are waiting for the doors of this church house to be opened. And then in chapter, in same chapter uh, 29, verse uh, 35, the end of that verse says, so the ser- service of the house of the Lord was restored or set in order. That's what y'all are waiting for. That's what we're all waiting for is to the doors of the church house to be opened, the worship to be restored here. And if you go to Acts chapter 1, you find something very similar. In Acts chapter 1, verse 12, it says they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Now, who is they? Well, you know who they is. The they is those, uh, at this time, only 11 disciples. Judas is missing, of course, now. So but what, we, what did we learn back in the Easter season when we talked about these 12 men or these 11 men? What were they doing during the crucifixion and after the crucifixion, before the resurrection? They were scattered, right? They were separated from one another. They were hiding. But now, what have they done? Now they've returned back. The Lord Jesus has resurrected. They've, they are now reunited. And it says they go into this upper room in verse 13 where they're staying. And it names them, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simeon, and Judas, the son of James. So there they are. And they all continued with one accord in what prayer and supplication. Also, there were some women there, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. So now there's a regathering of the followers of Jesus Christ. They'd been separated. Now they're regathered. Now what are they doing? Well, they're praying. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. The day of Pentecost had fully come. By the way, that's what today is. I said already. It had fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place. Don't y'all want that to happen? To be in one accord with, in one place? Not just to be in one place, but to be all in one mind and in one heart, moving in one direction? Look at verse 9. Not only these 11 disciples, but God had a precise moment in time chosen from the, history, from the foundation of the world that this would happen where he would send his spirit and pour it out. Could these days be a similar thing? Could it be that God has chosen these days and chosen a a specific point in time where he is going to revisit his people again with power and with purpose? Why do I say that? Well, if you look at verse 9 through 11, these people were gathered on this Pentecost from all over the world. Verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. And they all heard the apostles preaching and talking about the wonderful works of God in their own language. And it says in verse 41 that at that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So what you see in both instances, 2 Chronicles and Acts, you see a separation that had taken place and now God in His great mercy has allowed them to regather. But things were drastically different now. They were different 
now when they regathered in the Old Testament. They were different now in the book of Acts. And they were supposed to be different. It wasn't supposed to be business as usual when they came back together. There had to be something drastically changed, inwardly as well as outwardly. What was that? What was different? What were they doing that they had not been doing? Well, two weeks ago, I gave you three of those things that they were doing that they had not been doing. Three of those things in review where they, were, they removed the idols and the defiled things from the temple and from their own homes and their own lives. I asked you two weeks ago in the next four weeks to start thinking about and, and doing what are the things you need to remove out of your heart, out of your life, out of your schedule. They're ungodly, unnecessary, or distracting. Ungodly, unnecessary, or distracting. What is it in your life that's hindering your walk with God? And if you're, if you're not removing those things, then you're returning back to this building. is just a waste of time. You've got to have room in the temple of God, which is your heart, for God before we're ready to come back here in this building. Or it's just jumping through hoops again. Ritual, routine, just meeting together because it's here and it's Sunday. Don't you want more than that? Another thing I asked us to do was uh, that we saw that they were not doing was re they repaired the altar of God. The altar of God was in decay because it had been neglected. What's your altar? That's where you meet with God. Have you repaired? Have you spent some time repairing your altar? altar that is your walk with God, your prayer time, your, your time alone in the Word of God. That's what they were doing differently than before. And if we all we do is just come back to church and, and you're not walking closer to the Lord and you're not seeking the Lord and praying and spending time in His Word, then what's the, what's the point? Just that we can meet together on Sunday and pretend to be Christians? That's not what God wants us to do. And thirdly, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, purifying our hearts and our lives. Even if it takes drastic measures. Remember, one of the kings here, he had to depose his queen mother because she was an idolater. He got her off the throne. That was a drastic measure. Sometimes we have to take drastic measures to purify our hearts and our lives. Things were different, and things were supposed to be different. But one more thing, and this is the only thing I'm going to talk to you about today. That, uh, that they did differently than they were doing before. And that was that they began to pray and seek God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 15, I'm going to show you several places where this happened in the Old Testament. Before God revisited them. Before God's power and glory fell back among them. Even, we'll see it in the book of Acts in just a moment. Look, but look at 2 Chronicles 15 verse 12. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death. Whoa. Aren't you glad that's not a rule today? Whether small or great, whether man or woman. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. Could it be that God's waiting on his people to start really getting serious about seeking him with all their heart? If we look at 
chapter 18. I'm not going to read all those verses, but I want to just highlight this chapter for you. Jehoshaphat had joined forces with Ahab, which probably shouldn't have happened, but, uh, but Ahab, because Ahab was a wicked king, Jehoshaphat was a good king. But anyway, they joined forces against Ramoth Gilead. And um, Jehoshaphat wanted to pray, wanted to ask the Lord's counsel, wanted to seek the Lord, should we go to war against these people? He said in verse 4, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. And so Ahab said, okay, well, we'll get our prophets together. Now, I'm synopsizing and I'm summarizing and I'm paraphrasing, but you go back and read the story. So Ahab said, okay, so he got his prophets together. Well, what was Ahab? He was an idolater. Remember, he worshiped Baal. So who did he get together? He got his prophets, his false prophets together. And they all cheered, yeah, Ahab, you go, boy. You're going to get this victory. You're going to win. It's all you all the way. And Jehoshaphat said, uh, wait a minute. Is there not a prophet of the true God that we can talk to? And Ahab said, yeah, but he never has anything good to say about me. I don't want to ask him. Jehoshaphat said, you shouldn't say that. Let's talk to him. So they talked to him. And um, the prophet's name was Micaiah. And um, eventually Micaiah told him the truth. said, nope, Ahab's going to die in this battle. But Jehoshaphat's heart was to seek God. He wanted God's direction. He wasn't interested in what everybody else had to say. Listen, you get on Facebook, you know how many opinions there are about what's going on today? You put 10 people in this room, and there are maybe about 10, 12 here today, and you ask 10 or 12 people about what's going on today and all this coronavirus and what we ought to be doing, you're going to have 10 or 12 opinions. You know how much that's worth? <laughs> about as much as I just said, that there's just an opinion. And see, Jehoshaphat didn't want an opinion he wanted a word from God. I don't want what these false prophets are. I want a word from God. Are we satisfied just to get opinions or do we need a word from God? What about when we go back to church? Are we just going to do things the way we've always done them or are we going to seek a word from God and let God speak to our hearts? Prayer and seeking God. In chapter 20, trouble came to Jehoshaphat. Hey, don't, don't think that just because you pray and seek the Lord, everything's going to go perfect and neat. But these enemies, Moab, Moabites and Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat. And it caused him great fear, it says in verse 3. But it said he set himself to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And he stood before all the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord. And he prayed. And you can read there in that chapter what he prayed. It's a great, powerful prayer. Sometimes when you and I can't pray, it's a great thing to open the Bible and read just out loud some of the prayers that you find there. It's a great way to help us to pray. And one of the things the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 22.9 about Jehoshaphat, it says, uh, without picking up much of the context, just listen to the verse. Then he searched for Ahaziah, and they caught him. And he was hiding in Samaria and brought him to Jehu. When they had killed him, they buried him. They buried him because they said this. He's the son of Jehoshaphat who sought the Lord with all of his heart. That was Jehoshaphat's legacy. They buried his son. His son didn't deserve to be buried, but they buried him because who his father was. His father was Jehoshaphat. And he sought the Lord with all of his heart. I, I want that to be the legacy of of Dawson Street Baptist Church. 
This is a church that seeks the Lord with all their heart. This is a praying church, not just a church that prays, but a praying church. In chapter 30 of 2 Chronicles, verses 17 through 20, we read again where they sought the Lord. And this is King Hezekiah. There were many in the assembly who had not sanctified themselves. They had not purified themselves. Therefore the Levites had charge of the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who was not clean to sanctify them to the Lord. For a multitude of the people, many from various tribes, had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. In other words, it would be like how when we have the Lord's Supper and we read the admonition that tells us we're not to partake of the Lord's Supper if, if uh, we are not right with God, because if we do, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, then we're guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And he said, for this reason, many are sick and die among you. So it would be like somebody sitting in the congregation going, you know, I've lived like a hellion all week, but I'm not going to uh, pretend that some, I'm not going to uh, let anybody know that I've lived like that. I'm just going to pretend like everything's okay and I'm going to take the Lord's Supper I don't care. That's what he's talking about here. They had, they had partaken of the Passover, but they had not sanctified themselves. And uh, they risked their lives before a holy God. But it said in verse 18, Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his Father, though, not, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah, and he healed the people. You see, when we come back together, prayer needs to be a focus of ours. Seeking God needs to be what we're about. I want to read you a quote. By the way, I'm going to save this for, I'm going to, let me, I'm going to save that for just a minute. I want you to go to the book of Acts. I want you to see how prayer was an integral part of what happened at Pentecost, the very I won't say the first Pentecost, but the first instance in the New Testament of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it said, These 11 men and these women are continuing with one accord, all in this one upper room, and they're praying. Prayer and supplication, that is, they're praying. Supplication is just another word for prayer. So they're praying and they're praying. And then you look at chapter 2, verse 1. Now they're, they're still there. They're still in that one place, and they're all with one accord. That is, they are focused on one thing. They're seeking God. His direction. Now, Jesus told them what they were supposed to be about. He told them in, in Acts chapter 1. He said, uh, well, after, actually back up to the Gospels, the end of Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16, and Gospel of Luke, Gospel of John. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go into the whole world. Proclaim the gospel. But now in Acts chapter 1, he says, wait, wait. Put on the brakes. You need something first. He said, wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the Holy Spirit. That's why I said, we can have church without a building, but we cannot do church without the Holy Spirit of God. We can jump through hoops. We can have religious rituals and routines and, and all these little busyness activities, but we can't be the church in power and purpose without the Holy Spirit of God. So now they're praying. They're seeking that power. They're asking God for it to fall. And, and here in Acts chapter 2, they're all in that one room in one place in one accord. They're seeking it. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. The Holy Spirit had come upon them. 
And then after the Holy Spirit came upon them, they began to proclaim the word of the Lord. People heard in their own language. People were saved. People got right with God. And one of the acts, one of the first things that happened after people came to know the Lord, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in prayer. And we could read of all the other things, and we will over the next couple of weeks. But it says they continued in prayer. It's disturbing to a pastor when we have prayer meeting and it's the least attended meeting. People consider it boring, and maybe it is. Maybe that's a lot my fault. And that's one thing I'm asking the Lord, revolutionize my personal prayer life. Revolutionize the prayer of times of our church. Teach us how to pray. Fall on us with fresh wind and fresh fire so that prayer meeting is the most exciting meeting in the church. Not the eating meetings, not the dinner on the grounds, but the prayer meetings because we see what God is doing in our midst because of prayer. This is a message that God is putting on hearts of pastors all over this nation. It's not just Lee Waller. And that's an interesting thing for me to watch is how what God gives me to share with you, He is giving other pastors to share with their congregation. A former pastor of this church, Johnny Fain, sent me this this week. Long after this is, was the direction and the message that God had given today, but this is what he, he said to me. Just as because he texts me every week, he encourages me, prays for me as a ministry to pastors. And here's what he, and I'm quoting him. He said, a couple of weeks ago, while the idea of the church regathering was the topic of conversation, the Lord placed the burden of warning on my heart to pray. The warning of caution. Not caution of the virus, but caution of the church getting caught up with getting back again and missing the most important thing, repenting and seeking the heart of God corporately. The Lord took me to Hosea 7.16, which says, They return, but not to the Lord. This Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. On that day, there were a million seeking fellowship, but only 120, those disciples and the women, were seeking and waiting on the manifestation of the power and the presence of God the Holy Spirit. My prayer and my plea, he says to pastors, is don't miss the moment. We need to corporately return, repent, and seek the Lord. That's what was happening. That's what God honored in the Old Testament era, Second Chronicles. That's what God did when the Holy Spirit fell in the book of Acts. It's no coincidence that the Holy Spirit came upon those believers just when He did, when they were gathered, when they were seeking the Lord, when they were praying. These people of God who had returned from exile and captivity in the Old Testament and these followers of Christ in Acts who were scattered between the crucifixion and resurrection... When they came back, they were not content to go back to the way things had been. They were hungry and eager for a freshness and a fire to their faith that had been lacking for so long. So they sought God for that. They asked God for that. They believed God's promise that He would give that if they sincerely sought it. Do you believe that? 
I am praying that, first of all, God give us that desire, that hunger. Right now, you're hungry to meet back together. God wants your hunger not just to be for that, but to be with Him, to seek Him with all your heart, to know Him. I'm praying that God give us that desire, that that desire to seek Him would supersede all other desires. And do you believe that if we seek God like that, that He will answer us? Probably the most famous Second Chronicles passage is this one right here, 7, 13, and 14, which has flooded Facebook for the last three months. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Here's the promise. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. God said in Second Chronicles 16:9, one of my favorite passages in this book, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. I want him to stop here. I want him to visit Dawson Street Baptist Church in Thomasville, Georgia. That we give God reason to pause. There's a group of people who are seeking me with all their heart. I'm going to show myself strong on their behalf. I'm going to pour out my spirit and my power upon them like never has been seen before. And do great works through that people. That's what 2 Chronicles 16.9 says. But do we believe it? Do we believe it enough to do it? Joel is another one of those places we find this promise, which, by the way, Acts chapter 2 is a fulfillment of what I'm about to read you right here. Joel chapter 2, verse 12 to 17. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom Go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach, that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? And then we read in verse 28 where God says, And it shall come to pass afterward. When God's people do what we just read, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And then we come to Acts chapter 1. And we read in verses 4 through 8. And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, 
but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, they were more interested in political matters when God was more interested in spiritual matters. Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the season which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Why does God want to do this? Because God wants to energize his people to glorify his name, to proclaim his name to the ends of the earth, so that what we see happening in the book of Acts where thousands of people are coming to know the Lord. My number one prayer is we're planning a return to these buildings is that we're even more eager to return to God and seek from Him and desire from Him a holy freshness and a holy fire in our faith. I'm praying that I, along with you, will have a holy discontent with our stale, dry, cold, religious busyness. So much so that we fall on our faces now and when we're regathered, begging God, seeking God for fresh wind and fresh fire from the Spirit above. And you see, when God sent that to them in fulfillment of His promise, and upon their fervent request, it impacted and revolutionized the world in which they lived. You see, we already read where thousands were won to Christ. But what it says in Acts chapter 17, the enemies of Christ accused them of this. Those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. I pray that would be accused of us. That our faith would be so set on fire that this city, this state, this nation, yea, this world will be turned upside down because God's people seek God like never before. That's exactly what God wants to do. So a return can't just be a return to business as usual. So I'm encouraging you, begging you, and I'm begging God for my sake. I am just as human as you are. I have the same desires that you have. Elijah was a man of, the Bible says in James chapter 5, of similar desires. Just We think Elijah and Paul and all them sat up here and they were uh, superhumans. No, they weren't. Don't you dare think that about me. No such thing as a superhuman. We're all on the same plane of humanity. We all have same kind of desires, same temptations. There's no temptation that's unique to you. So I'm praying God for my behalf too that God give me these kinds of desires that I seek Him with all my heart and, and, and that I remove the things, the ungodly, the unnecessary, the distracting from my heart and life. That I repair my altar where I meet with God. That I purify my heart even if it takes drastic measures. And then I pray that God would revolutionize my prayer life and give me a desire to seek Him like never before. Because God's got a work to do in this world. 
And if you haven't noticed, it's not getting better down here. This week is a testimony to that. It's not getting better. It's going to get worse. These times demand for God's people to seek Him with all their heart. To be this kind of people because God needs to shine through us. To do things through us. A people completely yielded to Him. What I want us to do this morning as we close is our invitation, if you will, is to get on our knees. You're at home. It's probably going to be a lot more comfortable for you than it is for me. But if you're willing and if you're able, I've asked you this before when we've been gathered, but I'm going to ask you to do it now when nobody else is looking but maybe your family members and, of course, God, to get on your knees. And let this be a beginning. It says, I read for you a passage in 2 Chronicles that they made a covenant to seek the Lord with all their heart. And even those that wouldn't make the covenant, there was discipline. In other words, if you're not willing to seek the Lord with all your heart, you can expect God's discipline in your life. I'm not going to come after you because I don't know your heart. But if you're not willing to seek the Lord, God's going to come after you. He's going to make you the most miserable Christian in the whole world until you submit. So I'm going to ask you to join with me in a covenant this morning that we would do these four things that we've already talked about. Remove the idols in our hearts, in our lives. Repair the altar. Purify our lives. And pray and seek the Lord with all of our heart. So would you join me this morning on our knees? I want to give you some time to pray quietly or to pray in your home out loud. Men, you could lead your family right now in a prayer. But make this covenant with me. Make this covenant with God's people at Dawson Street Baptist Church. God, we come before you this morning. We are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. And you love us with an everlasting, unconditional, sacrificial, constant love. That's so overwhelming. And you don't want us to live apart from you. You don't want us to go through the routine and the motions jump through religious hoops that other people set up for us. You don't want us out in the world worshiping idols of our own making. You love us too much to leave us alone. And you discipline us because you love us just as a father does his own 
precious child. And Lord, also in your great grace and mercy, you are using these times and our time to draw us back to you. I believe these days are much like the days we read of in Scripture. I believe there are some striking parallels that we cannot ignore. So, Lord, we join together as your people, admitting and confessing to you, Lord God, that we are idolaters. We have idols in our lives. And I pray that you'd reveal what those idols are to every person who names the name of Jesus Christ, especially those who belong to this church. Point them out to us, Father. Convict us by the power of your Spirit. And Lord, I pray that when we recognize them as idols, that we would remove them immediately, no matter the cost. For most of us, it would probably be a great adjustment in our lives to our schedules. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to repair the altar of God in our lives. That what we're doing right now would not be foreign to us, but be familiar to us. Right now, it feels kind of awkward to kneel, especially as a group. God, I pray that this would be one of the most familiar postures in the days and months and weeks ahead as we seek you. Forgive us for not praying as we should, for not seeking you. God, help us to purify our lives, to take whatever measures are necessary to get rid of the evil, to get rid of the junk that doesn't belong. And God, give us a great, great hungering and thirsting for you. To return to you with all of our heart. Lord, we're so eager to get back together with others. Oh God, help me and help us all to be a thousand times more eager to be with you in our hearts every single day. Because we feel the pain of physical separation from our brothers and sisters. God calls us to feel the pain of spiritual separation from you so that we'd never want to wander again. We enter into a covenant with you, Lord. We know we're not very faithful when it comes to keeping covenants. We're much like your people, Israel. We're better at breaking them than we are keeping them. But God, if we never take a step forward, and if we, never, if we always stay stuck because we're afraid of commitment, 
We'll just live a boring, dull, useless Christian life. And I, for one, don't want to be there. And I don't want this church to be there. So, Lord, help us as we enter this covenant to keep doing what we're committing to do. Thank you that you're faithful to keep that which we've committed unto you until the day of Christ Jesus. We ask it in your name, Lord. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining me this morning and for hearing the word of the Lord. And now it is our responsibility to go and to do the word of the Lord. And uh, we, there are not really any major announcements, but there are some things you might want to know about as far as what's going on in the lives of some of our people. John Bolton is now in a regular room. He is recovering from open heart surgery where they replaced the valve in his heart and a tear in his heart. He's down at uh, Shands in Gainesville, so be, please be praying for John as he recovers and for his family. And also Mr. Tommy Mobley is recovering from open heart surgery. He, he also had a heart valve replaced. And uh, he, we need to pray specifically for all the systems of his body, specifically his kidneys, to come back in line and beginning to function normally and properly. And uh, so those are the two that I know that had some critical uh, surgeries going on this week. And I know others had surgery and are continuing to recover and tests and things like that. So I want to remember uh, these as we close in prayer. But uh, just continue to lift each other up in the Lord. And we, our plans are to regather in some fashion in two weeks, two weeks from today. So stay tuned to your email, your weekly updates, and Facebook and things like that. And uh, we'll be letting you know exactly what that's going to look like. And uh, things are always changing. So we're trying to uh, make the best and wisest uh, decision that we possibly can. And we covet your prayers. And we also are waiting uh, and seeking the Lord in this as well. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. We ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. You'll have a great week.